0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Lee.
1: Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have.
2: What is up on a Friday? I am Brian Scott Rippey. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippey Rights Podcast. We got a great Friday show for you. It is Mailbag Friday, the return of the people's holiday, the second post-college football edition of the people's holiday. We'll take your mailbag questions, and then we have some divisional round picks with LB's Greg, now a proud owner of two store locations, two LB's locations coming in the mix LB's, Greg. We hit the divisional games after a uh, four and two mm-hmm. week last week in the wild card round. So, looking to stay above 500 and uh, everything that comes with that. So, yeah, a little bit of a lighter show today coming at you a little bit later on a Friday. The grease industry never sleeps, just busy making deals over here. Chick fil A, other uh, major chains, pretty much just taking the company to the moon. Anyway, before we get to the, uh, the mailbag Friday questions, I want to remind you podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Fix? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has propelled Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. Check these guys out two weekends removed, or a weekend removed now from their historic 56 unit weekend in college basketball, I'm looking to get. Back on the uh, on the right foot in the NFL for the divisional round this weekend, they have their card up as we speak. Go check them out. Whether that's a we pass, week long, I'd recommend going season long. It's going to pay for its uh, pay for its money and then some, or the year long all sports pass. But if you're looking for a specific sport, they're going to have something that fits your price range and your time window. Whether that's month long, couple weeks, uh, season long, whatever the case may be, they got you covered. And uh, use their promo code Rippy R I P P E E. Uh, that'll get you twenty percent off any purchase. And uh, lets them know that we sent you. So please use the promo code. They're the best in the business. They're just printing you people money. And I hope you uh, hope you've caught on to it. I uh, the turnaround we've had in Neil's picks has been so historic. After I took over Zach Barry's position, which I think he was in last place. That's not a shot. Just a statement of fact. We are now three games out of first. Someone accused me of using Skybox's picks for that, which is. Great business, uh, great advertising, but Skybox actually does not give me picks um, other than what they want plugged on the show. And they certainly don't give me them for Neil's picks. So I'm not – wouldn't call it cheating. You guys should be quote-unquote cheating because Skybox is going to print you money. But uh, that was off my own dumb brain. You should not go off your own dumb brain. Skybox is the most consistent way to profit. That ended up being a terrible ad read. But uh, that's what you get when you sign up with the best. Our podcast also brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Go see Greg. You're gonna hear from him in a minute. If you're a Rippy Wright subscriber, that's rippywrights.substack.com. You get a newsletter from me three to five times a week. I'm actually gonna write a weekend newsletter. Didn't really get didn't have time to get to it this morning. And you get discounted meats. Right now it's a 16-ounce prime strip for 20 bucks and a five-dollar pack of sausage. Just roll in there, show Greg proof of subscription. He'll get you set up, then go find your own favorites, all kinds of delicious different cuts. Crab stuff, mushrooms, fresh seafood, ribeye sausage is always awesome. Love the filet burgers in there. Go find your own favorites. Greg wants to make your grilling experience great, which is why he's opening up a second location in Gluckstadt here, opening up this spring. So be on the lookout for that for all the Central Mississippi Rebels listening into the podcast today. So check them out. LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Real quick before we get to the mailbag questions, uh, I try to do this. I try to plug a story anytime I write a real one that's not a newsletter. I do have a story up on rebelgrove.com that is free to read. Um, it is on Charlie Weiss Jr. And his years being around his dad's program at Notre Dame and how that kind of shaped him for uh, for the role he's in today at such a young age. Right? 28-year-old 20, coordinator. I just went into it with the mindset, how did this happen? I saw that John Latina was on former Ole Miss offensive line coach during the uh, – I guess that was during the – talk. no, that was during the Cutcliffe era because uh, he coached Matt Luke as a senior, I think. Anyway, former Ole Miss offensive line coach. Got to know Latina through the years. I noticed he was on Charlie Weiss's staff, so I reached out, got in touch with Frank Verducci, who was the offensive line coach, the last year after Latina, and just wanted to know what uh, little Charlie Jr. was like being around that program. Got some good insight, and uh, really just a guy who who decided at a very young age he wanted to be a football coach, and I think it's a little bit different than a guy whose dad coaches and him saying, yeah, I want to do that one day. Charlie. Uh, Charlie Weiss Jr. started prepping to become a foot, full time football coach pretty seriously at 14, 15 years old, watching film, drawing up plays. Uh, I think he scouted his uh, high school's opponents, but uh, something he was very serious about from a young age. So when people kind of scoff at the notion that he's 28 and coordinating in the SEC, I just wanted to wonder how that became the case and why that became the case. It couldn't just, just be because he was Charlie Weiss's kid. And you know, I kind of learned that there was more to it, and he kind of started his career about 10 years earlier than most did. So Anyway, interesting story, I think. So check that out if you want to. It's up on uh, rebelgrub.com. Let's get to your mailbag Friday questions. We got a whole mess of them. It took some encouraging again up on the Twitter sphere, but the people responded as they always do uh, because this is the people's holiday. Let's see. Let's start at the top here. Here's an interesting one Done unpack from the LFG shirts. I mean, that's a brand, I'm pretty sure. Anyway, Mississippi State has cut into the market share of enrollees plus alumni plus fan support in the Metro Jackson area in the last two decades. What steps can Ole Miss take to get back at a more dominant level? This is a question, if you want like a real answer, it's way over my pay grade so anything I'm going to tell you is probably going to be flawed and it might sound stupid so just for full uh, full transparency there before I dive too deep in this one but I don't know when this happened my parents went to Ole Miss from 86 to 89 somewhere around there I think and I don't know if this was like this for them but when I was at Ole Miss from 2013 to 2017 I know I did grad school but undergrad It was, I mean, I went through the Greek life system too. And the Greek life part of it, when we were rushing, it was like 50% out of state or 60% out of state and 40% in state or something crazy. And I know the general population of my class was 50% just in general, not including like rush and all of that was 50, about 50, 50 in state, out of state. I don't know when Ole Miss pivoted in that direction. I don't really know why. I'm sure there's plenty of reasons for that money being at the uh, epicenter of it, but They went in that direction, and I don't know if there's a direct correlation to that dwindling their in-state presence. But I can't—I have to imagine with Ole Miss being the size of the campus that it is, and there are constantly being construction and them not being able to build stuff fast enough. I imagine that had to play into some of it. And as a student, I'll be honest with you: this is probably a little bit of a zag from what most people would want to hear or think you're going to hear. I enjoyed some of that aspect. Is the amount of out-of-state students Ole Miss has versus an emphasis on in-state kids, probably a little skewed in the wrong direction, probably. But as a student, I enjoyed making friends and meeting people from really all over the country. Um, and I don't feel like you get that at Mississippi State. They have a very, very tiny out-of-state presence. And me personally, I enjoyed meeting tons of people from Houston, Dallas, name the city. I mean, anywhere across the country, Atlanta, Jacksonville Miami Orlando I mean really pretty much anywhere I enjoyed that aspect of it and I thought it introduced you to a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds I'm sure some people will roll their eyes that like whatever this frat kid talking about his different fraternity brothers it's not really what I mean at all I worked them, I mean whether it was working at the student newspaper or, you know talking to different people on campus it was I enjoyed that aspect of it I guess is what I'm getting at not to belabor the point but I understand wanting to have more of an emphasis on in-state kids, but I think some of that is why that has happened. Uh, particularly, I, I know you asked about the Jackson area, but it, that all has to correlate in some way. I don't know what they do to get that back. I do think they probably need to shift their focus to some degree more towards in-state kids instead of you know letting in any out-of-state kid that couldn't get into Georgia and Texas, but they knew how to write their name, so we'll Miss will take your out-of-state tuition. I think there probably needs to be some sort of correction to that. I saw some headline, I didn't actually read the news story uh, the other day about them changing their scholarship money allocation. I don't really know what that means, but I'm guessing that's in some sort of effort to fix the in-state problem. Um, and I think problem is a proper way to describe it. I know I just zagged and outlined how much I enjoyed going to school with a lot of out-of-state kids. But at the same time, I, I recognized the need for you know to get the best of the best in-state. Particularly at a place like Ole Miss where, you know, you talk about the Mississippi brain drain and kids leaving the state. Well, you know, when most – a lot of the students are out of state, clearly they're going to go back home. Um, But I don't know what they do to combat it. But I definitely know it's an issue and it seems like something they're working on. But uh, as far as how you get more kids there, uh, I don't know, pay them money. I don't know, NIL deals, illegal inducements, get Barney Farrar a Jackson office. I don't really know. I don't have a real answer for you. So, Donna might start to the podcast there. And another hard-hitting one here, is a hot dog a taco, says Paul Mahan. I don't know. We talked about this with Greg later. He apparently saw this question and thought it was hilarious. I never understood the hot dog is a sandwich debate. I was firmly in the camp of uh, who gives a shit, just eat it. I get it's more of like a quirky, hipster, internet debate type thing. I never really understood it. Um, Sure, it can be a taco if you wanted to. It kind of looks like one soft taco, something in the middle, throw some sauce on it. Sure, hot dog taco. There we go. Jackson Dart fan account chiming in here. Would you rather get Dart and Trig or Daniels and Burton? This is actually a good question, and one, at this juncture, I'm probably not completely qualified to give you a well-thought-out and educated answer, but I'll do my best. My answer, if I were Ole Miss – I mean, coaching, whatever, whatever. Like, Ole Miss fans, I think, should want Dart and Trigg. That's just my personal opinion. Um, I don't know a ton about the Burton kid. I know he was a highly rated recruit. I kind of looked a little bit into his numbers at Georgia. And in Burton's case, I feel probably a little more strong or favorably toward him than I would someone like JT Daniels, and I'll get to that in a second. But, like, Burton got on the field his first two years. Like, he was used pretty sparingly. I don't think he had more than four catches in a game this year, and that came in a 62 nothing win over Vanderbilt. But he was at least a factor. He caught two balls in the Clemson game. He caught a pass in the Michigan game. He caught two passes in the national title game. He caught three passes in the SEC championship game. He was on the field cracking that rotation. And, look, I know Georgia doesn't have, you know, an Alabama 2019-esque receiving core. But to get on the field that early has to say something about you. And it was the same deal – in their uh, SEC-only season in 2020, the COVID season. You know, he had a catch against Auburn, It was number seven when they played them. He had two catches against Tennessee, four against Alabama, eight against Mississippi State. Like, this kid was a factor in their offense is what I'm getting at. So I think he's a pretty good player, even though I don't know a ton about him. I know he's a California kid, a little bit smaller in terms of frame for a receiver. So I think he's a good player. But if you're talking about this from the standpoint of, like, a package thing, JT Daniels, when he was on the, uh, in the transfer market a couple years ago, I talked to a couple people, one around USC and one around that covered recruiting in that area. And
0: Getting your paycheck they didn't necessarily say earlier, this. So I'm putting words in their reason... mouth.
2: But the, basically the gist I gathered from it was JT Daniels left USC because he was going to get beat out. I forget the kid's name. Was it Keaton Slovis, I think is who it was. He's going to get beat out. And then he goes to Georgia, and he doesn't start immediately. You had the weird Jamie Newman deal. He plays a couple games, but eventually they end up going with Stetson Bennett, who's a former walk-on. And so I guess the question I would pose at this point is, other than the fact that JT Daniels was a five-star recruit at a football factory, what would lead you to believe he can be a good quarterback at the major college and SEC level? His numbers aren't terrible. I mean, he look, he, he completed 68 and 94 passes this year. I think that's it was 72% off the top of my head. But, I mean, he was only throwing about seven yards an attempt. He wasn't bad in 2020. And I know he had some poor injury luck, so I know this isn't completely fair. But, again, at the end of the day, they decided to stick with Stetson Bennett. If he were that big of a game changer, do you think they're not benching Stetson Bennett, the kid that had been there for forever, like I mentioned, former walk-on? Uh, you know, he placed four games in 2020 – Three, and then the bowl game I think that was injury induced too but I guess the point being he wasn't necessarily lighting it up he had a great game against Mississippi State in late November if I remember correctly in 2020 but you know they're playing against 40 something kids uh that night for start Mississippi State so I guess what I'm asking is that seems like a kid that peaked in high school and I don't mean to use that as like the derogatory phrase like you would rail on your buddy but He hasn't done anything at the college level consistently enough that would lead me to believe that he's going to be a very good college quarterback, particularly at the SEC level. I know he – again, I think it was an injury in 2019 after the Fresno State game, but I just – I haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen enough yet. And the fact that he's gotten beaten out at most places and he has a lot of games with multiple interceptions, I just think there's a reason that he left USC. And I think there's a reason that he – didn't win the job ultimately at Georgia. I'm not saying he can't be good and he can't be productive anywhere. Maybe the kids just had some shit luck and, and, and not had the right opportunity. Whereas, I don't think that the, that's the case with Dart. And while Dart has a much more limited sample size in college, he's not leaving because he was beaten out somewhere. You know, you had a new coaching staff. You had to change Lincoln Riley, Clay Helton to Lincoln Riley, and Riley likely wanted his guy in there. I mean, talk about the ultimate kind of quarterback messiah, or at least what he's known for in college football. He wants his own guy in there. And so I think that was more the case for Jackson Dart wanting to transfer. So I would rather take my chances with Dart and Trigg with me obviously putting much more weight on the quarterback position than I would JT Daniels and um, Burton. Just really mainly from the quarterback standpoint, I would consider the receiver tight end deal there, there a wash. I don't know if Trigger Burton's better flip a coin, but you're definitely putting more weight on the quarterback aspect of it. And so I would certainly want Jackson Dart because he's like a lesser known commodity from his college sample size, but there's less of a history of him leaving a program because he was beaten out by someone better, if that makes sense. So that's kind of what uh kind of what I had on that one. But if you wanted to argue that you'd rather have Daniels and Burton, and you're sitting here listening to this thinking I'm an idiot, more power to you. It's close, like it's I could hear both sides of it. I would just probably go with Dart and Trick and. Spoiler alert, I think Ole Miss has a better opportunity to land the uh, ladder there than the former. I don't think JT Daniels and Burton are coming. I know there was a bit of an erroneous report about Lane Kiffin meeting with one of them. Came from a TV guy. I'm sure he's a nice dude. I'm sure someone told him that, but uh, this goes back to my TV guy theory. I appreciate the job that they do, but they're not around programs every day. They're not exactly locked in and dialed in, so always take it with a grain of salt. And on top of that, at what point during the college transfer process in this whole portal thing, have you known for a sitting college coach, not named Jim Harbaugh at an IHOP, that's not the same scenario, to go fly over to an opposing team's campus, advertise that you're there and go meet up with potential transfers that announced they were transferring two days before. Just not really how it works. So like, as soon as that report came out, like it was kind of a, things that'll make you go, Hmm, let's use some common sense here. That's not really how the process works. So I think the the question is moot in some ways. I answered it. I'd rather have Dart and Trigg, but I I don't think Ole Miss is in the market for Daniels and Burton unless something pretty dramatic changes. But that's just my read on it. Again, I could be wrong. Cathead or Tito's? Colby Joseph Wallace chimes in. I'll go with the Mississippi company, Cathead. That honeysuckle vodka is quite good. I don't dislike Tito's by any means. It's pretty solid, but – it's just that solid. I'll go cathead any day of the week. Not a huge liquor guy in general. I mostly stick to beer, do enjoy a vodka every now and again, but to call myself a vodka connoisseur would uh would certainly be disingenuous. so I'll go cathead there. Colonel plebe pleb chiming in internet's a wild place man. uh anyway, whoever this account is asks what happens to five if no Omaha uh I think he's axed. Pretty cut and drop. I think this is about as Omaha or bust a year as you could possibly have. And, you know, it's funny because I imagine there's some people listening to that and probably roll their eyes at it and like, yeah, yeah, I've heard that before. And I'm with you there. You know, when when I was on the beat covering baseball every day, uh, I was not Mike's favorite reporter. I think we've well established that on this podcast. So I viewed him as like the Teflon man. I was like, is this guy ever going to get actually get fired? I mean, he was as good as dead in 2019 in terms of his job status. And then the athletic director leaves and they go on a ridiculous run in Hoover and end up one game short of Omaha. So at that point I was like, man, this guy's never getting canned. So I I'm, I'm with you. If you're the ble- I'll believe it when I see it crowd, but I think this year's different. I think part of it's the LSU thing. I think part of it is you get to a certain point. What, at what point do you have to just say, hey, look, you have built a really consistent program, but one in 22 is not enough. I mean, what are you going to – is he going to be going into year 26 looking for his first for, – for his second Omaha appearance? At a certain point, you got to cut it off, cut it off. So, I actually believe that to be the case this year. I think it's Omaha or Bust. Now, look, is there a world where they end up one game short of Omaha again? Eps- and he, he's retained? Sure. To me, it's just harder to see it this year than it was in – uh. Than it was in years past. And I think there's a lot of factors for that, some of which I just covered. But I just, it feels a little bit more cut and dry this year. And Colin and I talked about this. I mean, look, I know the message board, a uh, Rebel Grove message board, is not always the greatest, like, precise temperature of the fan base, but I always think it's a pretty good general indicator. If you post anything on Mike Bianco right now, you're going to get a negative reaction. We did that podcast on Thursday that I hope most of you listen to, where I just called Colin and we didn't really even preview the season. We talked about all the same things that fans want to know and that we're talking about right now about Mike Bianca's job status. And, you know, is he gone if he doesn't make Omaha and should I buy in after the whole LSU debacle and coming up short again and all that, we discussed all that, but because it's a podcast, I didn't put a ton of time in the title and I just put expectations for Ole Miss baseball this year, which I guess some people read as like a generic preview And the amount of negative feedback I got from people who hadn't listened, they're like, why would anyone want to listen to a baseball preview? I'm like, just, just play the tapes. We talked about what you people wanted to talk about, but I bring that up to say like, it feels different this year. Like it's, it's a mix of apathy and animosity as opposed to just people being annoyed of them falling short. And I think that's, that's, that's certainly a different feeling that I think all goes all the way up to people making decisions. And so that's, ultimately why I think this year's different you can just sense it people are people are more fed up with it I guess would be the general way to put it so what happens to him no Omaha I think that is the end of the Mike Bianco era at Ole Miss Jace Conway checking in here once a player transfers from school A to school B can they transfer again to school C as a graduate transfer without any penalty or will they be required to sit in a year? Thanks in advance. Love the pod. Thanks for listening, my man. I appreciate that. I'm about to disappoint you. Because I don't know the answer to that. I I think, so I would assume the grad transfer thing would still apply after the one-time penalty free transfer. Now, if you transfer again as an undergrad, I'm pretty sure you'd have to sit out again. But I would assume the the grad transfer thing is still in place and still accessible for, uh, for people, if I'm not mistaken. And I don't know how that applies to JT Daniels. I don't know if he's, like, grandfathered in because he didn't have the one-time transfer. It's something I probably have to look up. Maybe I'll have an answer for you on a later podcast. But my answer is I'm not sure. I'm never going to tell you I'm sure of something I'm not or pretend I know something I don't or at, uh, or at least try not to. Um, so I don't know, but I would assume, yes, that would still – still be the case uh, as far as that goes. So appreciate the question. Thanks for listening to the pod. Keeping it moving along here on a Friday. Let's see. Are the white helmets going to be in the rotation next year? I don't know. That's a great – another one I don't know. That's a great question, I would think. Yes. But so for a while, the way the little inside baseball here – I was always curious with the white powder blue thing because in 2018 – Ole Miss rolled out the uh, the white helmets for that season opener against, oh, what was that? Texas Tech in Houston. And you didn't see powder blue that year. And then in 19, I think they went back to powder blue, maybe? I can't remember. But they were the same helmet. Ole Miss didn't have two different helmets. They actually painted over them. Um, I got that confirmed from, I mean, I'm not, you know, breaking the Pentagon papers here, but I actually asked someone that was, like, involved in the process, and they're like, no, it's the same helmet. I think they're different now. I think they have two different helmets now. And so as far as like the Sugar Bowl white helmet, I don't know if that'll stay in the rotation. Uh, like I get the traditionalists out there. I thought it looked kind of cool. I would keep it in the rotation. The kids love it. Back to that Matt Luke conversation I had one day. I think I was talking to him after the they announced the white helmet deal. Uh, it was just in passing in the IPF one day. We weren't even like interviewing or anything. And I was like, what do you think about it? You played here. Like, do you like the change in helmets? And he's like, the recruits like it, so I like it. And I was like, case in point, case closed. So um, I would guess they try to keep it in the rotation. I would think they would fork up the money to just, you know, have three helmets or whatever. But, uh, you know, I don't know. I'll confirm with my equipment, God. Let's see, keeping it rolling along here. Robert H. Newton. No, that's not a question. Someone's getting in an argument in my Twitter mentions. That happens a couple times a week. Let's see. Rolling it down. See, I always lose my place, but uh, everyone's here to save me. There we go. Uh, how long until Lane Kiffin is coaching the Dolphins? I guess when he gets done with the Vikings job. So there you go. Thanks for tuning in to Mailbag Friday. Luke Walters checking in. How are we? How is Ole Miss going to look on the mound this year? starters and bullpen little Elko be able to have as great of a year and will he become the most legendary player to go through our program if he goes have a great evening you too man I appreciate you tuning in well let's start with the first part of your question I would assume pretty educated guess here that Ole Miss's rotation will be Derek Diamond and the two transfers and that's uh, excuse me yeah two transfers excuse me Gaddis. Uh, from Texas A&M Corpus Christi, which if you listen to the Thursday show, I just made up the fact that they were a JUCO. I'm aware that they're a uh, full-fledged college. I actually had to write a preview on them when I was an intern for D1 Baseball one year. Just a brain fart there. And then Washburn from uh, Oregon State. I would imagine those are your two starters to start the year. Now, how does Drew McDaniel factor in? Do you try to work Doherty as a starter? Does someone of the younger kids emerge? All fair questions. How healthy is Diamond? I don't know. I would imagine that's how they start the rotation. Just a hint. Wink, wink. Now, outside of that, I think – now, that's the biggest question with this team for me, and we covered this yesterday, is the front line starting fishing. You're in a year in the SEC where you don't have a Jared – you know, you don't have five Jared Poche-level guys or five Alex Lang-level guys in the conference on Friday nights. Look across the, the conference. Do you know who A&M's Friday night starter is? He's probably one of the better ones than Micah Dallas. Peyton Paulette for Arkansas. Uh, just it was announced, hate it for the kid. He's out for the year. Landon Sims is probably the best Friday night guy, most established guy in the SEC right now. Like, do you know who LSU is going to be? Cause I don't. Like, do you know who Auburn's is going to be? I don't. Do you know who Florida's is going to be? Me either. Vanderbilt. Look, they're going to have some kid that throws 98 on full scholarship. But you get my point. There's not a lot of established guys. And so that works in Ole Miss's favor in what should be a more offensively strong year. But to me, the biggest question is, can this team be good enough on the mound on the weekends? Because I think they could actually be better collectively as a bullpen. You think about the three best arms in the pen last year, Taylor Broadway, Brandon Johnson, Jack Doherty. What did the latter two have in common? No one knew they existed until late April. So you've got them as known commodities now. You get a healthy Max Trophy. There's going to be some sort of newcomer that contributes. I can promise you that. Um, Because Mike's got a couple left-handers, too, that they seem pretty high on. And then you've got Wes Burton and, you know, your guys that were kind of fringe guys last year so that are a year more experienced. Now, does that mean that they're better necessarily? No, but I think by collect, like collectively, even if they don't have kind of the lockdown closer, which what Taylor Broadway did last year over the last month and a half of the season was one, ridiculously unfair, and two, ridiculously impressive. Even if you don't have that kind of at the back end, I think they could be better by committee, to be honest. I think they're deeper. And so that, that just comes down to the starting pitching because you know they're going to hit. So, I think that's what the rotation will bullpen will kind of shape up to be look like. If you maybe me guess the closer, I would guess Brandon Johnson, but you know, these things change. So uh second part of your question, will Elko have as good of a year and we go down as the most legendary player in Ole Miss history. I don't know about legendary player in Ole Miss history, but if you're talking about uh, uh, like as far as his health goes, Look, if he's healthy, he was on pace to have an absurd year last year. I don't think people remember this. three weeks before he was injured. I mean, he was hitting as well as anyone in the country. He was really just obliterating SEC pitching. And so, look, if he's fully healthy, I, I I think yes. I think he could have as good a year and better. And, look, if he struggles the first three and a half weeks, I wouldn't let that fool you because if you look at his numbers from last year, there was a, I mean, we posted a podcast. I remember I was just looking back trying to remember last season. We posted a podcast in March, like first week of March, wondering if Elko was going to finally hit, which seems silly given what happened over the next five weeks. So, like, if he starts out slow, it wouldn't stun me. But I think come SEC play, that kid's going to mass SEC pitching. So, yes, I don't see any reason a fully healthy Elko. I mean, he was hitting bombs on one ACL. Now that he can run and such and has, you know, two healthy knees, I think he could be as good or better as he was last year you know legendary is a very vague term and can mean a lot of different things but you know, as far as like fan favorite I mean look what he did last year when ACL coming back that's kind of like that's why some people watch sports right I mean that's what you watch it for these kind of like Titan like superhero stories and that was every bit of it and so in terms of him being remembered fondly yeah, I think he's got a chance to be up there with really just about anybody. Honestly, I'd put Nikhazy up there as well. So I would say yes. The answer is yes to both of your questions. Um, so there we go. Keeping it rolling. Got a couple more to get to before we get out of here. Up oh, here we go. Now we're off the rails. Not that we were on the rails earlier when we were breaking down whether a hot dog was a taco. But here's the uh, weekly brain pretzel. Would you rather have the ability to speak any language or be able to talk to animals? I'm going to go be able to speak any language. That way I can move around the world a little bit better and I could be an asshole to people in multiple languages. That's partially a joke. Um, but I don't really need to, I don't have a need to talk to animals. I don't know, need to know what the elephant at the zoo is doing, you know, pooping in the pond. I don't need to know its thoughts on that. Uh, Also, these animal attacks are getting more and more frequent. I have this theory that I've been throwing around the office at work that they're out to get us, and I don't really need to be privy to their plans to take back over the earth from humans. So I'm good on not talking to animals. I'd like to be able to speak multiple languages. Uh, It would make me sound more sophisticated. Um, You know, do some international business, do some trading over in the China markets, impress the chicks with that one. So I'm going to say that's uh, the... The multiple languages is more useful. I'm good on talking to animals Um, as much as people. I get the aspect of wanting to know what your pet's thinking. Don't get me wrong. But, uh, yeah, I'm probably going to go with uh, multiple languages. So appreciate that dynamite hard-hitting question there. I appreciate all mailbag Friday questions. I'm just giving you a hard time couple more before we get out of here. I think that was actually the second to last. Last one. Here we go. A great one to end on. Rob Leonard, are you headed over the UK? I've got a Crystal Palace ticket with your name on it if you do. Are you being serious? Because if you are, I will jet over there. I told Weldon we were a big deal in the UK. I just knew it. I could feel it in my bones. It's catching on over there. They're listening to the Rippy Wright's podcast for real soccer analysis, not that Roy Kent bullshit they get on TV. We are the number one source – for uk football since 1776 yes i'm down if you have a crystal pallet ticket i am coming to a game i was supposed to go to or i am supposed to go to a wedding in italy next september been a little bit of a sore subject it's my girlfriend's uh <laughs> her friend and then i started looking at uh what the trip was going to cost and uh maybe drug my feet a little bit also red-blooded american male here i don't need to go to europe i know what it's like over there Actually, I'm just kidding. I don't. But in all seriousness, I, if, you have, if you have an EPL ticket, I'm in, buddy. Uh, I might stick Weldon in my suitcase. So positive note to end the uh, mailbag Friday there. If anyone else has any EPL tickets they want to dish out for your favorite soccer podcast, I will jump across the pond for that. No questions asked. I will eat fish and chips. I'll talk in a stupid accent. I'll do anything you want uh, to go to an EPL game. I think that would be pretty awesome. So there we go. I think that was everyone we had. Oh, no. What's the ceiling for Ole Miss football in 2022? Cool. I don't know. Nine wins? That seems realistic. Assuming they get darted quarterback, they could win nine games. I don't necessarily think they will. I don't see that. You get six pretty easy-ish games, and then in the West, can you go three and three down the stretch? Sure. Are you probably going to go two and four? Maybe. I mean, how could they go six and six and it go really bad? But I think they've done enough in the portal. I don't see how nine and three is totally unrealistic. I don't see another 10 and two. And that's why I'm putting the ceiling. Keep in mind, that's what the question was. So I am going to keep it at nine and three. I'm going to keep my answer there. I don't think the ceiling is that much. It's definitely lower than this past year's team. Uh, given scheduling, quarterback number of different reasons. But, like, they could get to nine wins. I mean, any team with decent amount of talent can do that. Getting to that 10-win threshold means you're pretty pretty damn good. And I think that's what was so special about this 2021 team, even though it kind of ended in sour fashion. So, I'll go ceiling, nine wins. That was it for the Mailbag Friday questions. I always miss one or two every week if I missed one. I uh, I certainly apologize. But I think I hit all of them. Yeah, I'm going through right now. I'm pretty positive I hit uh, pretty much every mail, every mailbag question. Anyway, we will get to Greg's picks, and then when we get out of here, so uh, tune in for free money. Me and Greg going 4-0 and this week in the picks. Here he is, LB's Greg himself. All right, we now welcome on Greg to meet Sharp Jones back for divisional round. We are two weeks away – or not two weeks, two rounds away from the Super Bowl, I should say. Um Good week last week for us. It uh we all agreed we agreed on all six games. It uh didn't start out great. We were not great on Saturday. Um Pats got absolutely blitzkrieged. We lost a tough one in terms of like the Vegas math in that Las Vegas Raiders Bengals game. But a three and O Saturday and a one and O Sunday for a four and two week. How about that?
3: Yeah, cannot complain about that. Yeah, I mean that uh lost, Las Vegas Raiders game could've gone any either way. So uh you know, that was, is a really good game and uh you know, you just gotta tip your hat. Um the Bengals come through on that.
2: Right, that game right was like right in the Vegas zone, right? Like five and a half, six points and It Like you said, the game could have gone either way, but, like, I think Cincinnati was better and it made sense, but the line in particular could have gone either way. There were, like, three possessions in the second half where Las Vegas got it, like, down inside the 20, and they either kicked a field goal or turned it over on downs. Like, we could never get that one big touchdown that would have made us cover. But with all that being said, I mean, they had a chance to tie the game late, but I think Cincinnati was the better team, and they just happened to end up on the right side of the cover.
3: For sure oh um, that's how that goes the only one
2: i felt really i mean we were all over with the niners we were undeterred by a bunch of the public money going on san francisco we both took them outright what just a you know what we didn't factor in though when we were counting that game i mean look san francisco deserved to win they were better for three and a half quarters but it also took the cowboys throwing up on themselves and just utterly choking down the stretch and neither one of us factored that in but uh i'm glad it happened because you knew it was coming
3: well, yeah, I mean, you know, who would have thought the, the quarterback draw would be the best play uh, with no timeouts and, uh, you know, under, under 10 seconds left on the game. You
2: know, when it comes to like clock management, and I know some of these coaches that struggle with it have clock management guys, but that feels like the one thing that like fans just call coaches, like think they're the just dumbest asshole that's ever walked to the face of the earth, because as fans watching on TV, it makes sense to us because that's all, like we, that's all we have to think about. They're thinking about a million things, right? I'm always a little slower to judge on clock management. I think coaches should be better about it. But in that case, one thing I noticed from reading all the reaction online, when dudes that played in the NFL, like multiple, go I mean, it wasn't hard to find the take. Everyone that either played or coached the NFL basically said 18 seconds is the cutoff to run something inbounds or a quarterback draw when you have no timeouts. And the Cowboys did it in 14 seconds and didn't know who to hand the football to. That just seems like gross incompetence. Like I usually try to stay away from just these guys are idiots, but when dudes that played the game are like, yeah, they were four seconds under what is pretty much the consensus cutoff. That seems bad.
3: Yeah. I would think that, you know, kind of the instruction would have been like, if you're going to do a quarterback draw, make sure you get to, I don't know, say the 20 yard line and go straight out of bounds, you know, like just, uh, try to get as much as you can, but make sure you get out of bounds because, you know, there's only 14 seconds left. So, I mean, like, it had have been a great for the, them to get out of bounds and have, like, I don't know, seven, eight seconds left inside the 20. But, you know, I, I just don't see why you can just get tackled there and not try to get out of bounds, stop the clock.
2: Yeah, you're right about that. And then even if you're going to do it and, like, push the boundaries, everyone has to be locked in on exactly what's happening and what you need to do and what you're up against. And that clearly wasn't the case because they struggled to get lined up and then they tried to spot the football on their own, which, I mean, it's pretty basic football if you play quarterback. The, the the umpire has to spot the ball. It's just gross incompetence. But as we mentioned, like, it should have never gotten to that point. The Niners were much better. And then, honestly, I don't even – look, a win's a win's a win. Like, I'm never – this stuff's not easy. Uh, just, ask, just ask our bank accounts. But, like, I felt pretty confident in both – Tampa and Philly like that, that almost felt like taking candy from a baby I know I'm going to regret that statement but like if that just felt too easy I mean even when the Chiefs got down seven to nothing what they didn't score on their first five possessions and then Watt had like the the fumble scoop and score I still I don't know about you I don't know where you're watching or what I still never doubt it for a second I was like this thing's still ending 35-10 or something like oh, that. oh yeah like sure. I, that so was either- out even when they sucked
3: and that's, and that's the kind of thing about it is on the, um, you know, those first half bets, you know, you would think that you would be all over Kansas City in the first half, but like push comes to shove, you know, the smarter bet is just to take Pittsburgh to where they'll hang in, make it a game for at least a quarter and a half. And then, you know, the second half just be awkward, you know, to where that's what kind of happened.
2: And look, Big Ben gets his last hurrah in the playoffs and look good for him. Legendary first ballot Hall of Famer quarterback, but, I'm not trying to be that guy. Would you not have rather have seen Justin Herbert in the playoffs somewhere? Like, Oh yeah, absolutely. We didn't need another, we didn't need another chapter of big Ben. Sorry. Maybe I'm the contrarian.
3: Yeah. I mean, you know, like I said, that'd have been how many teams from the West? Three. Yeah, it would have been three.
2: And I mean, Co- Herbert outside of Josh Allen and Mahomes, to me, he's like one of the most electrifying quarterbacks in football. Like he, he's, it's unbelievable. I mean, that last – Yeah, there was – yeah, What
3: was game, that – sure. Yeah, there was one play against uh the Giants this year, and it was just like he threw it on the dime. It was like 50 yards, and it was a perfect like, pass. I think that was the Giants.
2: It's unbelievable. And then, like, I saw that – not sports science isn't around anymore, I don't think RIP, but someone did a really detailed breakdown of the last throw in regulation to tie the game as the time expired against uh, the Raiders. And like Herbert threw the football to the perfect spot, like literally six yards before the receiver turned around and it was right in the perfect spot. As soon as the guy turned around, it was really just amazing to watch. But anyway, I just felt like I would have rather seen him in the postseason than big Ben, but it is what it is overall a pretty good weekend for us. We forge onward. we got four games this weekend and then we'll have two next weekend feeling pretty good about our chances. But, uh, before we get to these games, what's, uh, what's going on at the store? You haven't opened up any new locations in the last week. Are we breaking more?
3: <laughs> no, I'm actually, uh, I'm sitting here looking at the floor plans of the Glugstat uh, location right now. So just trying to get that set in stone and trying to get that, you know, start and build out. So, uh, we're doing that, but no, uh, I haven't opened up another location, but yeah, just, uh, the same old, same old, you know, kids are coming back into town. So we've been getting kind of busy and, uh, the town's kind of k- kicking back up, and then baseball's right around the corner. So, yeah, uh, we'll be Jennings in Oxford before you know it.
2: What is – I know th- working loosely and not loosely in the restaurant industry, I talked to a lot of people that run restaurants for a, uh, just from the grease standpoint. Like, opening a restaurant, I didn't I – mean, I guess I realized it wasn't some, you know, simple math equation. There's so much stuff that goes into it. I know yours isn't necessarily a restaurant, but, like, is it not just a gigantic pain in the ass? All the just the menial stuff you have to do just to get something open.
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's. Uh, I mean, like right now, I'm looking at the floor plan for the production room because, um, you know, we have to be smart with the electricity and put it in the right spot. You know, because the grinder and uh, is the you know most elect you know is is needs most electricity and then just kind of get the back of the house taken care of first. You know, an employee bathroom a walk-in cooler, you know, production tables and stuff like that. And then you work your way to the front and, uh, you know, the front's really cool. It's a long and lean uh, store. Um, it's going to have like reach-in coolers. It was going to have a kind of an ice well to where we're going to have layout fresh fish to where you can see the fresh fish. And, uh, we're going to have some beer. Um, and, um, uh, so yeah, we're going to have some like, you know, primo beers, beers that are going to go with like meals, you know, so maybe like a, uh, a nice porter that goes with, a, you know, like a Denver cut or something like that. So we're going, it's not going to be like over-the-top beer, but we're going to have a full cooler of really nice beers. I like that idea.
2: That's honestly pretty brilliant. On top of that, I just take this a step further. What about just a full-on bar inside, and then you let people get shithoused in there, and then they just get the munchies and they buy up whatever you have in there?
3: thoughts yeah i would love to you know um you know buy the the next door the 2,000 square feet next door and turn it into an indoor um uh, golf course you know it's where you have the uh the you know you have like four screens and uh i think it'd be great though you know, you know uh, uh, i don't know i just think that you know sometimes uh the weather doesn't cooperate and like fruit Example this weekend, it's gonna be like 12 degrees here in Mississippi, and uh, you know, I'd love to go play golf, so uh, I think an indoor, you know, uh, simulator with a open bar and everything like that. But we'd have to have a liquor license because liquor license, uh, you, you, for your beer license, you can sell, but liquor license, you have to consume, uh, consume. So, uh, uh, yeah, we would have room for a couple couches and some flat screen TVs, and uh, uh, put some horses on the, on the TV and, you know, have have uh, have a good time at the meat market. Who wouldn't want to h- hang out at the meat market?
2: That's what I'm saying, dude. We haven't done a grill corner in a while. Last thing I have before we get to these games, when it's cold as hell outside and it's kind of a pain in the ass to grill outside, do you have any advice or tips on what to uh, throw on a grill or throw on elsewhere if, uh, if you're trying to battle the cold?
3: Yeah, I would, like, do more smoking meats, you know, probably do, know. like, a Boston Butts. Uh, maybe a half chicken or just something that you can, uh, you know, control the temperature and let it sit and go low and slow. Um, You know, Boston butts are going to be your best bet. Brisket's are going to be really good. Um, The other, uh, I had a guy come in and he wanted to do a uh, big thick pork chop. And I go, honestly, you know, if you're just going to put it on that top rack of your uh, of your grill and just let it sit there at 250 degrees, you'll only have to go out there and check it one or two times, you know, it'll be ready. So um, I forgot there. there was a question. It was, is a hot dog a taco? Is that, was that a question? Uh, I got a belt are?
2: bag question about that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. We've gone so far off into the, like, I never understood the hot dog. Is it a sandwich debate? I was more on the uh, who cares side. Now it's a, ta- what are we defining tacos now? What is that about?
3: Yeah, I just thought it was funny uh, that uh, you do get some good questions. Uh, get get some good questions, but uh, but yeah, it's just uh, it, it's 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 good time. And well, uh, we I just love that little mail corner. But yeah, we need to do a grill corner.
2: Yeah, we need to get a grill corner going soon. We uh, you know, that's usually like a seasonal thing, right? It's uh, it's always timely to do it when people are out like grilling. But we'll get that rolling during baseball season in particular. Yeah, Mailbag Friday is a mix of sports. Random advice and then just trying to twist my brain into a pretzel. There's certain segments of it, but we appreciate. I,
3: it. I love how there's always uh, there's always if if five ball doesn't make Omaha, is he fired? You know, it's just much. like I can I
2: can pencil that in every time without someone asking it.
3: I'm just like, no, he's probably not. You know, it's just uh, we've been one we've been one win away from Omaha for the past five years. So I just it's you know it's just hard to get to Omaha.
2: I mean, we I, we did a I did a baseball preview with Colin on Thursday, and like we talked about the fan apathy and what happens to Mike and the LSU part of it, and pretty much all the stuff that I figured would be on fans' minds going into this year and whether they should buy in again. But it's a podcast, so I didn't put a ton of brain power into titling it, and I just titled it Ole Miss like, expectations for Old Miss baseball. I got more messages about like. Who would want to listen to a baseball preview at this point? So it's already starting.
3: I'm like, look, just click play. Like,
2: don't read the time. Yeah. Talk about everything. You <laughs>
3: talk about. I like, mean, you know, uh, it, it would be uh, it would be awesome to have a, a solid basketball season, but you know, Kermit's just going through some tough times with the team, and it just uh, uh, people are just ready for that baseball to get going.
2: Yeah, I. I, I t- so I said to one guy, I was like, what, "What do you want me to talk hoops? Like, what? What are we like? We're not working with the ton here right now. What we do you have." <laughs> Is some great. Imagery. I mean, we
3: got the cheerleading, uh, the cheerleading national championship. We could talk about how good our cheerleading program, uh, how the oldest Miss cheerleading program is national championships, and you know that sort of thing. Uh, yeah,
2: Cunati's <laughs> from the women's sports this year. You can't knock that. If you could wager on cheerleading, uh, we might have, we might be cooking with gas there. Um, For sure. All right. Well, what we do have though, we got some NFL this weekend. Four games. First one up is my Tennessee Titans hosting the Cincinnati Bengals. I don't love the fact I would have rather played the Raiders because I think the Titans would have shredded that defense. But, I mean, I kind of figured once the draw played out the way it did, I figured this is who the Titans would draw. And it sounds like Derrick Henry is going to play. I was reading the Titans guy, uh, Paul Kaharski, who does it independently now, and, like, he's basically saying you're going to get an answer on on Friday, and then they said – he could start, and that was the answer. But I feel like they would have already ruled him out. I think Derrick Henry's going to play in this one. Bengals' offense scares me a bit, but I actually kind of like the Titans in this spot here, minus three and a half. But I'll let you go first. Do you have a lean here?
3: I mean, I just think that, you know, that wild card game is such a a big lift uh, in the playoffs that, you know, you get a little momentum. And, you know, uh, that, the big knock on the Bengals was – you know, they hadn't won a wild card game since 90-whatever. And, uh, you know, that team's playing loose, and uh, they've got, a, a, a you know, some momentum from that other game. And I, I just don't see why they not can't go into Tennessee and try to pull off an upset. So, I actually kind of like Bengals' money line here for some strange reason.
2: There we have it. We agreed all last week. If we'd have done it again this week, I feel like we'd have been in some real, real trouble. I don't hate that pick at all from the standpoint – I mean, the Titans threw a dud last year in the postseason against – uh Baltimore. Like it wouldn't stun me at all. That's why I was saying I would have rather had the Raiders from just from a Titans standpoint because I don't know that Bengals offense scares me a bit. But it feels like on the timeline and the trajectory for Joe Burrow, like they they snapped the drought this year. Still kind of young. Their defense is pretty good. They run it okay, but they still make some mistakes. If the Titans have Henry, I feel pretty good about their chances, but honestly, like anything else in this divisional weekend, it really wouldn't stun me at all if the Bengals came in and won that game. Um because Burrow's pretty fearless, man. He's got four or five throws a game now, To You're like, you sure this guy's not a top, like, five, six quarterback in the NFL? Like, he he he's certainly not scared of the moment. I mean, him and his teammate at LSU, Jamar Chase, he turned Jamar Chase, is pretty good in his own right, into a top five receiver in the NFL as a rookie. Like, they they're, they're uh, they will not be shrunken by the moment. I can promise you that. So, going to be a good one to start off. And then the night game, I think, could be good. I'm not 100% positive. Um... I have a Neils pick story after we get to this one, but I'll uh I'll defer to you first. It is Green Bay in San Francisco in Lambeau. I'm assuming it's gonna be pretty cold. I haven't checked the uh haven't checked the local Dopper radar there in Green Bay, but I feel pretty safe going out on that limb. Green Bay minus five and a half at home. What do you got here?
3: Man, I think uh I mean, you know, I'm just that I'm in an underdog kind of mood. I mean, I know that Aaron Rodgers has had a wonderful year and just seems like if Aaron Rodgers goes to the Super Bowl, he he might win the Super Bowl, retire, and, you know, we'll never hear from him again. But uh, that San Francisco, you know, team's playing really good ball the last couple of weeks, and, uh, you know, it, it helps to have that momentum and helps to have that extra five-and-a-half points. So I think a field goal is going to determine this game. So I'd much rather have the points uh, here. So I'm going to take uh, the underdogs.
2: I am with you. And so on Neil's picks – this year, I inherited. Once Zach Barry left Rebel Grove, I inherited basically his team, his standing, or whatever. And not to pat myself on the back here, I did see one someone on the board accuse me of using Skybox's picks. Uh, spoiler alert: uh, They don't give me picks, and particularly not for like a pick 'em like that. I, I this is all my own dumb brain. I have rallied the troops. We went like twenty four and five or something ridiculous in bowl season. I am now three games out of first place with two weeks to go. So we're now. I think I started eight games below 500 against the spread, and I'm now 15 over. So, we've hit a real heater these last couple of months. But with that said, I picked the Titans – I won't spoil it, but I picked the Niners in this one. And Yeah, I think it's going to be a really good game, man. I went five and a half just because, look – I think Green Bay is the best team in the NFL by far this year. Like if you made me watch, like after the regular season, if you said who would you wager on to win the Super Bowl, I would have wagered on Green Bay and I would have felt more confident in it than I would have doing that exercise really at any point in the last half decade in the NFL, even with those Chiefs Mahomes teams, because one year you had Brady, and then I mean, hell, the next year you had Brady on the other side in the NFC. But like I they were that far and away the best team in the NFL at times this year. But with that said, It can get kind of weird in the playoffs sometimes. And the name of the game is keeping the football out of Aaron Rodgers' hands. And I can promise you, for the first quarter and a half, I think they're going to do that. Kyle Shanahan and whatever that offensive coordinator is that kind of looks like McLovin is – (laughs) going like, they're going to be well-scripted. The first 10, 15 plays, if it's a drive, drive and a half is going to be well-scripted. I think they go down and get an early score, take up about seven minutes of the clock. Can they do that for the full game? I don't know. But I guess what I'm saying is I feel confident enough in Kyle Shanahan in that running game to play into the Niners' hands for at least a quarter, a quarter and a half, and what can they do with it from there. And I'm with you. I, uh, I, I, th- I would rather take the points in a game that I think is going to be close. The one kicker I will give you is this also screams of it being like a three-point game the entire time, and then you get the classic Jimmy G turnover like we got last week that put the Cowboys yeah. back in the game, <laughs> and that pushes it to like a ten-point game late.
3: When it really should have been more than. And then they're scrambling at the end, trying to convert like third and nines and then fourth and sevens and stuff.
2: Exactly, and and if it gets to that point, like if we're down ten and they've got to go the length of the field with no timeouts in that weather, we're probably toast. But I'm gonna take the points. I'm gonna go with the Niners here. I just something about that team scares uh, scares me. If I were an opponent, their weaknesses at corner, which is not great when you're playing Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers, I'll probably look like an idiot for it. But I kind of like the Niners here.
3: Yeah, I mean, like I said, I just think that, you know, taking points and taking the under in these uh playoff games are, you know, kind of uh, uh kind of bread and butter to get in on.
2: I uh so that that's the Saturday games. I know I probably say this every year we've done this podcast on the division around, but really just four incredible matchups. The first game we get Sunday, starting at two o'clock central time, is um uh, is uh uh it's LA and Tampa. So it's the Rams and the Bucks. It is in Los Angeles. This line stinks to high heaven because they have not, not once this week have I seen it go up to a field goal. It has stayed at Tampa minus two and a half the entire time. And I'll go first on this one. I This was pretty much my spoiler alert. I went underdogs the rest of the way in Neil's picks, which required me to go against Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, and Tom Brady. And I feel no shame in doing that. In this case, I feel really the dumbest I'll probably feel is going against Tom Brady in the playoffs, but I think the Rams are better. I think their pass rush is better. I think their defense is healthier. I think they're all in on winning this year. I don't love Matthew Stafford. I like him enough and he's not having to go do this in 12 degree weather, which I think helps as well. The fact that this hasn't gotten to a field goal is really fishy to me. So I'm just going to take the Rams to win this outright. I think they're better.
3: Is this at Tampa Bay or is that at LA?
2: This is in, uh, this is in Tampa.
3: Oh, wow. Um, you know, and, uh, the Rams have already beaten the Buccaneers once this year.
2: Uh, Um, they did. They destroyed them in like week three in LA.
3: Um, yeah, I have to agree with you on the Rams. This is, this is their year. I mean, it's, it's this year or no year. I mean, you know, they've, you, you said they traded all those, you know, picks away. So, uh, you know they uh they're going all in, so uh I, man it's just hard to beat Brady at at Tampa Bay, man. So uh, with that being said, uh, I really want to take the Rams just because I feel like uh it's you know it's this it's their time. But I'll I'll, I'll go by instincts. I'll go with the Rams with you. I'll, I like the Rams.
2: The only the the thing that decided it for me was they don't have their full complement of receivers, right? Mike Evans is kind of the last man standing, right? They lose Godwin, and then their secondary is beat up too. And, like, what do the Rams have in, in spades? They have great corners and safeties, and they have ridiculous receivers. I think that's what exposes them. And, you know, Brady gets the ball out quick, but good luck doing that with Aaron Donald, Michael Brockers, and that defensive line. I just I think it's a really tough matchup for them. So, that's why I feel confident in the Rams uh, there. So, we're agreeing on that one. I'm interested to see which way you go in this last one. Probably the game of the weekend. It's Chiefs-Bills. It's Josh Allen versus Patrick Mahomes. This is probably round two of about – I mean, shit, I hope it's 12 rounds, but at least six or seven playoff rounds between these two and the AFC over the next decade to come uh, after we got round one last year. Uh, Two and a half again. This is another game that has not gotten to a field goal. Excuse me. No, it's down to two. And the Bills are plus 110 money line. Just keep that in mind. It is in Arrowhead. It is Kansas City minus two. Which way are you going here?
3: Man, I think it's gonna be a really good game. I mean, I know that Buffalo has uh, you know, gone to Arrowhead and went won already once this year and uh I mean it's hard to beat a team two times uh in the same year. Um uh you know, you look at Alabama, Georgia. Uh you, you just uh, you know, granted Alabama. if Alabama and Georgia played ten times, I think Georgia beats them nine out of ten times, but you know, Alabama beat them that one time in the SEC championship. So you got to throw that into, into play. But man, I, I just think Buffalo, I just like Buffalo for some strange reason. I just, uh, I think they're just a destined a team destined to be, and I just think they pulled the win off somehow.
2: I'm with you. I'm going Buffalo as well. I spoiled it earlier, by I wrote in, <laughs> like I said, in Neil's picks, I'm, I'm going against Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes. And I've somehow duped you into doing this with me,
3: but, I thought. I mean, they're reasonable picks. I mean, they, you know, it's not are. like it's not like we don't have a shot. It's not like it's not like we're ten point underdogs and hoping that you know. I mean, they, they, these are legit legit underdogs. Uh, you know, uh, on the road.
2: And the look, the I would say the if you're ranking one worst confidence to most, I would say the diceiest is by far the Niners, because it's about even defenses and certainly a huge quarterback mismatch. But with the other two. Of course, Brady's better than Stafford, but I get a much better and much healthier defense and better weapons with L.A. And then in this one, oddly enough, the game featuring Patrick Mahomes, I think this is the like this is the most even quarterback matchup of the weekend. Like, Josh Allen is the most electric show in football right now, if you haven't been paying attention. I mean, last week, what is that, a wind chill of, like, negative four, and he throws 21 to 25 for five touchdowns. The Bills scored on every single drive they had the football. That has to be the best cold-weather game ever. He's incredible, and I was kind of low on the Bills because they can't run the ball. It does not matter if that dude's going to run it, and he's going to do what he does in, over the uh, through the air. So, like, I'm all, I love the Bills in this spot to be honest, because Kansas City's kind of had laws throughout the year, particularly in games where they kind of stink for a quarter and a half. If they do that on uh, Sunday night, Buffalo's going to bury
3: them. No, yeah, yeah, I mean that's it's all about getting out on a good start. I mean, you know, you you say for example that. San Francisco game. If they go, if they take the ball and they have a seven-minute drive and get a touchdown, and it's you know seven nothing with two minutes to go in the first quarter, you gotta like San Francisco's chances. Same thing with Buffalo. If uh, Mahomes doesn't drive down the field, get two or three big plays to Kelsey or uh, or you know Tyreek Hill, uh, it might you know it might be Buffalo's night.
2: I think you're correct, and I think the the start of the game is certainly most important in that San Francisco game because that has to play out a certain way for us to hit it. But the other two, I actually feel pretty confident in. So we're uh, we're on the three underdogs. You're on four underdogs. I'm on three plus the Titans. That's going to wrap up our divisional picks. If we make it through the playoffs over 500, we uh we might start a rival service to Skybox. Start handing out winners for uh for a price.
3: That's right. I mean that's just what we're here. We're giving the people what they need.
2: If you want to hear the actual professionals, go to skyboxsportspicks.com. They just posted their NFL card for the weekend and check them out. They will lead you to profit. We will, too. Just uh, we're a little more confident, but a little less uh, – our, our method is a little uh, little less certain. But uh, that's going to do it for the divisional weekend. We'll be back before uh, – real quick spot before, in the, before the championship games next weekend. But uh, check him out lb's university avenue across from kroger i appreciate the time dude and we will holler at you next week as always all right that is our show i appreciate you guys making it to the end i'll remind you one more time go check out that uh, charlie weiss jr story on rebelgrove.com and while you're at right, it become a member of rebelgrove.com if you are not already the best place for Ole miss sports information and commentary i promise you that neil and chase do a fantastic job Thanks for making it to the end. Hope you're already enjoying your weekend with a cold one in hand somewhere or doing something you enjoy. And thank you for making this podcast a part of it. We will catch you guys on Monday.
1: Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network.